Welcome, everybody, to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is a show dedicated to telling the story of coastal advocacy and shining a light on people that are being kind to the planet. Each episode, you will meet a person, or in the case of today's episode, a group of people that are driven to leave this watery world in a better place than they found it. I'm so excited for this episode because my three guests today are very good friends of mine and have been overwhelmingly influential to my personal and professional growth. Um, I probably could spend an entire episode walking through the countless reasons why each one of them is special both to me and to the world around us, but um, I'm looking forward to introducing them to you. And before I do that, let's take care of some business with a brief message from our sponsors. And of course, we'd also like to thank our sponsor, Dune Doctors, a dune restoration and consulting company out of Pensacola, Florida. They do outstanding work in this area, dunedoctors.com for more information. So listeners... Some of you may have heard a sneak peek of this episode a few weeks ago in what I like to think of as a perfect example of the growth process and um, a theme that we'll touch on a bit in this episode, which is that with growth and success comes a bit of stumbling, challenges, and even sometimes failure, all in the name of learning and self-improvement. So my guest today actually recorded an entire episode with me already, and (laughs) it was beautiful and genuine and info-packed, but unfortunately something happened either during the recording process or in post that led to the conversation jumping around a bit um, and being hard to follow. So because it is my goal with this show and our goal as a network to produce high quality content that we can all be proud of, we decided to redo the interview. Um, So with that said, it is my honor to present to you the Her Chesapeake episode 2.0, which is back and better than ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I am joined today by president and founder, Lauren Tannehill, vice president, Stephanie Smith, and quite possibly my favorite job title ever, historian Catherine Crixton, who all make up the leadership for Her Chesapeake, which is a group working at the intersection of feminism and conservation to cultivate a network of women who elevate, amplify, and empower each other in a fair and impartial pursuit of their collective success and a healthier Chesapeake Bay. Welcome, everyone. I want to start things off by going around and getting a at a little bit of what makes each one of you, you. Um, and I think it's incredibly important and helpful for our listeners to learn a bit about the humans behind all of uh, the great work that's going on out there in the conservation world in hopes that we can all um, show how people from all different backgrounds and experiences and interests end up in this space. So let's start with Catherine. Can you tell us a bit about your background and what you are passionate about? Yes. Uh, Well, 
I am from Maryland, so I haven't moved too far in my life. Uh, and actually, a fun fact that I only recently realized about myself was that uh, aside from four years in college, I have lived my whole life in the Anacostia River watershed. I didn't know that as a (laughs) child, but it turns out that that's true. Uh, So my background as far as uh, work related to saving the bay goes, uh, I, oh man, I don't even know how I was lucky enough to end up involved in this organization. Uh, And we actually just had a, a meeting last night where one of our guest speakers talked about uh, just how interesting your career path can be and non-linear it can be. So um, let's see. I started as an English major at St. Mary's College of Maryland. I went on to get a master's in journalism, but knew that I probably didn't want to be a reporter. So I, uh, but that I did want to be involved uh, in saving the earth in some way, right? So uh, I was lucky enough to uh, be looking for a job when the Chesapeake Conservation Corps was established. Uh, it's kind of like an AmeriCorps program run by the Chesapeake Bay Trust, and I was part of their inaugural class. Um, I got placed at a nonprofit organization uh, down in Southern Maryland, and I was able to sort of use some of the communication skills that I had learned in school, um, but also try and figure out, you know, how to put those skills to use specifically uh, related to environmental conservation. Um, I decided I really liked it. So I uh, tried to keep going and then I ended up uh, being able to spend my full-time job uh, writing about the Bay for the Chesapeake Bay program. And I ended up being there for six years uh, and just all things Chesapeake all the time. Uh, so <laughs> that's sort of my professional life. Um, Which is also where I met all three of these people yeah. as an aside. We yeah. um, not only worked together saving the Bay, but we uh, were able to develop some lovely relationships there as well. Yes. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. A lot of good relationships have been formed at, at that office. <laughs> yeah. And even though uh, you didn't necessarily pursue the route of journalism, your degree came in handy for um, teaching me how to be a better writer. <laughs> yeah. So actually, congratulations to you, Catherine, because you just got a new job, I understand. Um, will you tell us a little bit about that? I did. Yeah. So I... Uh, I I knew that I wanted to keep doing, so my focus has been for a while on digital content uh, and content strategy, and I knew that I wanted to keep doing that, but that I kind of wanted to shift uh, my focus and see if I could do something um, that was a little bit more broad. So I am now working uh, as a contractor with NOAA uh, in their headquarters um, with a program called the Marine Recreational Information Program, and the way I describe it is there's NOAA. Then there's NOAA Fisheries. Then there's a little program that collects a bunch of data about recreational saltwater angling. And I do communications for that program. Uh, So it's more niche in the fact that it's 
all saltwater wreck angling, uh, but it's a little more broad because it's a national program. Um, and I'm going to get to kind of learn about new species and new ecosystems uh, that are totally unfamiliar to me. Um, and that that's pretty exciting. That is really exciting. And welcome to the oceans world. I also yeah, made the I, know. <laughs> I made the jump also from the bay to the ocean. And so it's it's nice to have another familiar face over on the, the coastal side. <laughs> um, so Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're passionate about? Where to start? I am originally from the Midwest, Indiana specifically. And so I grew up surrounded by a lot of cornfields and strip malls. <laughs> um, but every so often there were these beautiful open spaces and trees and wildlife. And I, even from a young age, was so enamored just by the intrinsic value of them. Um, just their existence and their right to exist and be alive and be enjoying the planet. Um, I was about as a tiny child uh, and I have this really vivid memory of um, driving past this one particular stand of trees that my mom and I used to drive past all the time on the way to the grocery store and seeing that it was being cut down to build another grocery store <laughs> and being so upset um, these trees had every right to be here and who decided we already have one grocery store. Why are we cutting it down to build another one? So that set me on a lifelong path of, uh, environmentalism and conservation. Um, and I was always really interested just in environmental science and learning about the world around me, but had sort of this natural inclination towards, uh, writing. So in undergrad, I got my degree in, professional writing, and then was minoring in environmental science and environmental policy. And then I had this grand idea that, no, I wasn't going to be a writer. I was going to be a full-time scientist. So I got my master's of scientists in environmental sustainability. And then after I got that, I was like, no, I don't want to be a scientist. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the writing. Um, and so since then, I've had sort of a series of environmental communications jobs, including the one at the Chesapeake Bay program where I met all of you lovely friends. Um, but yeah, I'm just really excited about the planet. Um, and I love teaching people about it and meeting them where they are in order to teach them about it. So for me, it's always like nature has the right to exist, but other people, that's not necessarily the message that comes across for them. So learning what does work to communicate with people and then just doing it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that's a really important point to make is um, I think uh, many people in our field can be very passionate um, and it, it really is an art being able to um, communicate a lot of the things that we know and sometimes that we think are so obvious and we're so fired up about and, you know, why are you still using plastic straws? Why are you still using any sort of single-use plastics, which I will admit is a challenge in its own right, even as somebody that um, is super passionate about ocean conservation, trying to eliminate some single-use plastic from uh, my daily life even, is it's hard. Um, and we can actually touch on that a little bit in the episode, because I know that you guys uh, completed an interesting challenge relating to that. 
Um, but being able to communicate about these issues in a way that reaches people that might be a little bit different than we are is challenging and it takes practice. And I just have to give you credit because you are, um, you're so good at it. <laughs> I feel like I learned you. from you, you each and every day. Um, but also I, I really admire you for making note and sharing that story um, of that moment when you were a kid where you have this realization of that tree deserves to be there. That stand of trees deserves to be there and being appalled at the development that's happening. Because I find that uh, there's an interesting split in the people that I've spoken to so far on this show of people that have moments like that, um, myself included, and then others that have found it in a different way. They have found their passion for conservation in a different way. Um, but I always appreciate hearing those those stories because they're always so powerful and vivid um, and just, you know, show how deeply you've been invested in this for, for so long. Um, so I want to get to Lauren too. Um, Lauren, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, I was just thinking my story will be a little bit different from Stephanie's <laughs> from what I'm going to tell. I don't know if it's what exactly drew me to conservation, um, but it's related. <laughs> so um, I'm from the Annapolis, Maryland area, and I grew up spending a lot of time on the Severn River that feeds into the Chesapeake Bay. Um, so I was really lucky to live in a place where I had access to the water. And a lot of my memories as a kid are based at this neighborhood beach that we had where I would hang out a lot. Um, and there was actually a river swim team in my neighborhood. So instead of going to the pool for swim lessons um, and all that, we had a swim team for the river instead. And when I think about that, I just think about how almost nothing stopped us from being in the water. So like when jellyfish started showing up at the end of summer and normal people would say, okay, I'm not going to go in the water at this point. <laughs> um, for us, it was totally normal to break out a can of Crisco and slather that on your arms and legs. And um, it would block the sting of the jellyfish uh, and you would go swimming anyway. That was like the thing to do. <laughs> um, Which is and, so wild. Like I never knew that you could just slather yourself in Crisco and, <laughs> and be jellyfish proof. Yeah. Although I would imagine... <clears throat> excuse me, that you would like maybe get some serious sunburns from that, but yeah, I was you just know. thinking you probably <laughs> hands from that. <laughs> yeah, but you can't you can't win all the battles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just think that is so like now in my adult life, it's so funny and weird that I have to tell people about it. <laughs> but it connected you to the bay. So it, it's, you know, those are the most important memories to have is that you guys are out there and you're in the water and connecting with the, the Severn River and the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it was like, I didn't have a moment like Stephanie where there was kind of one thing that pointed me in that direction, but it was kind of like all of these cumulative memories of time on the water and swimming and crabbing and all that stuff. Um, that kind of inspired me to get into environmental work. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to do something that I felt like mattered and something I felt good about doing day in and day out. Um, so now at this point I have two degrees in sustainability. Um, 
and I'm really into uh, focusing on issues kind of at the nexus of social and environmental issues. Um, and my professional background has been all Chesapeake Bay work, and it's been kind of all over the map. I've done education, um, communication and outreach. I've done some policy work. And now what I work on is strategic partnerships. So um, it's all about bringing organizations together to collaborate. So I know that I'm also in the presence of three wildlife enthusiasts and um, want to specifically give a shout out to Stephanie for being well on her way to earning her master naturalist certification. Um, that's a lot of hard work um, and really impressive. Um, and I also look forward to being able to go experience the outdoors with you and just point at random things and ask you fun to share fun <laughs> facts about them. Um, but I'm actually going to go around in reverse order. And I would like each of you to tell me about your favorite ocean or bay critter and why. Um, I'm opening it up just from the bay, even though I, I expect or suspect that you guys might choose bay critters, but um, I will allow ocean critters. So I'm up first, I guess. Yes, Lauren, you're up first. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to go with the American eel um, just because I learned about them recently and I think their life cycle is really cool because um, they spend their life in fresh water in the Chesapeake Bay or wherever they are. And then they go all the way to the Sargasso Sea to spawn. And then somehow these tiny little eel babies find their way back into the fresh water. <laughs> and it's really cool and amazing. <laughs> Super amazing. And for our fun fact, that is called catadromous. When you spawn in fresh water, right? You spawn in fresh water, yes. you go out to the sea, and then you return to fresh water. And then the opposite of that is anadromous. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> our naturalist confirms. Yes. And the American eel is the only catadromous fish in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So there you go. <laughs> the American eel might now be your favorite critter. You just didn't know it. Um, so Stephanie, will you share what your favorite critter is? I will. Uh, my favorite critter is water adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't live in the water, but it gets pretty darn close to the water. Um, I am a bird lover at heart. And there's one bird that I associate more with the Chesapeake Bay than anywhere else, even though it is found on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, and that's the osprey. So as I mentioned, I grew up in Indiana and we did not have osprey in Indiana. And so when I first moved to Maryland, I heard this little peeping noise uh, during the spring and I look up and this, this amazing goofy looking uh, fish hawk, you know, just staring at me because they have, they're not scared of anything. Um, and it's this sort of cultural uh, knowledge that, you know, the Osprey are back. So it's almost summertime uh, and then the Osprey are leaving. So it's going to get cold again. Um, and I love them and they're so weird looking. <laughs> so <laughs> they Osprey. are so weird looking, <laughs> but they're so cute in this you know. fierce little way. Um, mm -hmm. But I agree that little peeping noise, um, you know, I feel like certain senses can really bring you back to a certain time and place. And whenever I hear that Osprey peep, 
I am immediately transported back to my time in Annapolis, Maryland, even though they, I see their nests all over the place up here in New England where I live now. Um, but I think, you know, just from the nature of where our office was right on the Chesapeake Bay and where I lived down there close to the water, I was in contact with them more frequently. Um, and also if anyone really loves osprey or would love to fall in love with them like we have. There are plenty of amazing osprey live cameras out there, which can be really interesting to watch because you can see all of these crazy places where they set up their nests um, and watch their daily lives and struggles. Um, it's almost like a little soap opera sometimes, but there, there are a wide range of um, all kinds of wildlife cams out there, but osprey cams are some of my favorites for sure. Um, so Catherine, we're on you to share your favorite bay or ocean critter. Okay, I will go bay specific, uh, but I will not choose something that is seemingly as special as the American eel or the osprey. Um, I love spotting animals. Uh, but I think to choose a favorite one, I want to pick something that is easy to find uh, and something that a lot of people can find uh, in a lot of places, although they really only like salt marsh habitat. So, uh, and that's the marsh periwinkle. Um, I think that those little guys are so freaking cute. And uh, I think they're sort of, ease of access, right? They're like uh, oh, something that lives in the water, but that you can still see from land. Um, something that there's a lot of when you find them. Something that you can definitely pick up and touch uh, that sort of like gives you this tactile critter experience. Uh, I just love that about them. Uh, my parents uh, are at Tillman Island every weekend, and you can walk down to the water and stand on the dock and look down at the grass, and you can see them all. Uh, and I was trying to do some research so I could share a fun fact. Uh, <laughs> they're not too exciting, but they do practice. Uh, they farm fungus. So there you go. There you go. I did also, not know that. Also, uh, they're a prime... Uh, they're, they are a food source for blue crabs. So when the blue crab population is low, their populations can get out of control, which damages smooth cord grass. So, you know, it's all interconnected. It's all yeah. interconnected. And Marjorie Winkles <laughs> are adorable examples of that. They are adorable. And periwinkle is a really fun color. No. You can hold periwinkles and hum your favorite song to them, and then they come out and jam out with you. And that's amazing. Like what other creature does that? And then if you get one that's big enough, then you can also put it up to your ear and try to listen to the bay. So they might be small and unassuming, but don't count the periwinkle out, everybody. Don't count the periwinkle out. <laughs> can we make some t-shirts that say that? <laughs> Plus the fungus. Don't some life-saving drugs come from fungus, fungi? So then, you know, maybe you're on the verge of a breakthrough there, Catherine. That's true. We, you know, Boston <laughs> I, is a big hub for um, biotech companies. Maybe, maybe I should approach some with this, this idea. <laughs> 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 I, 
I just started laughing because I can imagine them thinking I'm just a crazy periwinkle lady and kicking me out. But, you know, you keep trying. Um, So let's pivot a little bit to talk about your work with Her Chesapeake. Um, I'm interested in learning more about the organization and how it all got started. Um, And what are some of the driving factors that led you to start this group? Um, I will leave the question open for anybody that wants to jump in. To start out the way that Her Chesapeake came together, um, I was kind of just having all these ideas swirling around for something new that could be like a space or an outlet for women who work on Chesapeake Bay issues to talk about the challenges that we face specific to our female experience in this line of work. And um, my dog is like <laughs> flapping his head around and scratching <laughs> stuff. So you might yeah. hear <laughs> Dax, Dax is a feminist and he was just really excited yeah. about that thought. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, he's here chilling with me as usual. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I was just having these ideas and they were just like swirling around in my mind. So one day I ran into Stephanie on the stairway of where we were working and I just randomly stopped her and threw out this idea that I was having just to get her gut reaction right there um, and see what she thought about it and see if she thought that was something people would be interested in, something that was needed. Um, And she liked it. So then we looped in Catherine And um, the truth of really how her Chesapeake came together is that it was over drinks. We were just brainstorming ideas over happy hours um, to keep talking it out. And then we started sharing the idea with friends and our kind of closer coworkers. And it's really continued to expand in that kind of way over the last couple of years. And I just like to point out that it was really kind of unextraordinary the way that it came together like it really just happened over happy hour there was nothing all that momentous about it um and we're just a couple a few ordinary people who had an idea and wanted to run with it and (laughs) kept kept pushing it along um and anyone else could do that you know yeah and I think that that's such an important thing to note is that so many projects and organizations and businesses and big ideas start over just having that first discussion with somebody, sharing your thought, sharing your passion, um, whether it's over drinks or coffee um, or over email. The fact is is just putting yourself out there um, and bouncing that idea off of other people. Um, and you never know, like in this case, Stephanie was totally on board and then Catherine and then the rest of your board. Um, and now you have this amazing group. So, you know, don't be afraid to make yourself a little bit vulnerable and put yourself out there. Um, because next thing you know, you might be running something like her Chesapeake. Yeah. All of a sudden you're leading an organization. (laughs) (laughs) And doing amazing things. (laughs) Um, Um, so the other part of your question was driving factors, right? Like what behind this idea. Correct. Um, so the concept of her Chesapeake is that it's merging the issues of Chesapeake Bay restoration and feminism. And I like to point out that our brand of feminism, um, means gender equity 
and it is meant to be intersectional. So we're always striving to be inclusive of all races, all classes, all orientations and, you know, all the rest. Um, so for the Chesapeake side of our interests, my driving factors are that it's a watershed that's important to me and it's my home. And um, as I mentioned, it's my whole career has been based on Chesapeake Bay issues. Um, and the theory kind of is that if you're empowering people to overcome the barriers that they're experiencing and the work that they're doing, in this case, Bay Restoration, then they can do their work better and be more successful. And then theoretically, the Chesapeake Bay would be restored faster into a better state. Um, so for the feminism side, that's where it gets a little extra personal for me. Um, I am not one who's shy about sharing my own experiences when it comes to gender-based discrimination and sexual assault and harassment and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, for me, that's where a lot of my fight and a lot of my inspiration comes from in creating Her Chesapeake. Um, and I just want to say that I don't think that everyone who has one of those stories should feel pressure to have to share it. But I 100% know that almost every single woman I know has stories like mine and can relate to them. Um, so I choose to share my stories as a way of connecting with other people who have similar experiences. Um, and I'm not going to go into the details of all those experiences right now, but for me, it's been everything from being told I could or couldn't do certain things because I was a girl when I was a kid. Um, things like body shaming or catcalling or, you know, physical based things. Um, and then I found myself stuck in a really abusive relationship in college. And that involved a lot of various forms of harassment and assault and different things. Um, and then just professionally, I've had things like, uh, I guess I'd say like limitations put on my professional experiences because of being a woman. And um, at the time, I didn't know what to do about that. So I chose a long time ago to share those stories about myself, specifically the abusive relationship part, because that just encapsulated so many different issues. Um, a lot of the reason for sharing that is that those experiences have shaped who I am in so many ways. Um, but I'm learning still to own those experiences and use them as motivation to do things like create her Chesapeake where I can help provide this space for women um, where they can feel safe and they can feel free to talk about the challenges they're experiencing as women with each other. And we can try to come up with solutions to the things that we're, we're running into. Um, and if we can't come up with solutions, we can at least commiserate on, <laughs> on the challenges and things that, that are happening to us. So it's kind of like a cathartic experience. Um, so yeah, a lot of her Chesapeake is coming straight out of my heart. It's a big chunk of just me um, and a lot of my personal experiences. So I, I guess I just wanted to create a place that I could have used a lot earlier in life. Yeah. And I, th I think it's apparent that this is a passion project for all of you and that all of everybody that's involved is so invested in it um, because it's useful and it's helpful and it's this amazing safe space. And I think 
Um, it takes a lot of strength to have experienced what you experienced. Um, and it's something that uh, you have then taken and been open about and vulnerable about and use that to help other people. And even though every single day might be a challenge for you to continually be evolving and working through your own life experience, uh, realizing that other people may have gone through something similar or even if they haven't could benefit from hearing your story and understanding that you guys are all providing a safe space and uh, running an organization where anybody can come in and be open about um, their experience navigating the world as a woman and navigating uh, especially the conservation world as a woman um, and feel understood and heard and have people that aren't going to judge them and people that are just there for them is it speaks volumes to who all of you are. And I have so much respect for each of you um, for, for doing this and providing this, this space um, for po folks to meet and learn from each other and grow. So thank you for that. Um, I also want to get at what inspires you all about the Herd Chesapeake family. And um, I actually want to start because there is a ton, as I feel like I've already, I feel like a little bit of a fangirl in this episode with you guys, because I just like keep throwing compliments at you. Um, <laughs> but I guess that's the benefit of it being my show, because I can do that. <laughs> um, but there's there's just so much that I admire about each of you. And I would like to share a couple of those things with our listeners, starting with a quick story um, that was the inspiration behind why I brought this topic up and the inspiration behind what I'm about to say. And that is back when I was working at the Chesapeake Bay program, um, we, and by we, I mean Catherine and Stephanie, started this adult summer camp called Camp Sandpiper. Um, <laughs> and when I say adult summer camp, I just want to clarify <laughs> that it's in like the least risque way Possible. <laughs> like <it's> legit <laughs> think about what you did at, for activities at summer camp and then just do that as adults. Um, so we had a bunch of people that worked at the Bay program and we would meet once a week and um, rotate through each of the campers would choose an activity and we would do that activity. So we did everything from making um, gimp lizards to tie-dye shirts to going on photo walks and um, singing songs and, you know, so on and so forth. But every time we met, we would do some sort of um, fun icebreaker, which I feel like probably is an oxymoron because so many icebreakers can be kind of lame. But um, there is one in particular that I have carried on with me from Camp Sandpiper, and that is the compliment circle. So I quickly wanted to go around and um, say what I admire about each one of you and then open it up to the three of you to talk about what your inspiration is either behind um, Her Chesapeake, like what inspires you about the organization and the people that are involved in it or each other. Um, so Catherine, I honestly feel like 
um, some of the best laughs that I have ever had and the hardest laughs that I've ever had have been with you. Um, anybody that knows Catherine, and I feel like I'm trying to get one of these out of her <laughs> during this interview, but she also might be on mute while she's not speaking. Um, Catherine has like one of the best laughs ever. And it's just, it's so genuine. And it's a reflection of just like how genuine of a human she is. She's so welcoming. She's so kind. And Catherine, I really love your spirit. Um, Stephanie, Stephanie, you are honestly like so damn thoughtful and you're so insightful. And that's probably because you are a much better listener than I am. Um, and it also fits into this whole con uh, conversation about um, science communication is that you have the ability to listen to all of this really complex um, research and sift through all of this complex data and then communicate it in a really clear way that helps bring people on board in terms of understanding why it's important to be stewards for our planet. Um, and then Lauren, Lauren, you literally have been my rock since uh, day one in Annapolis. Lauren was the first person that I met in Annapolis. Um, and as you can tell, I think it's so apparent from just listening to her speak, she is so strong. She's so driven, but at the same time, she pairs that with this amazing honesty and vulnerability. Um, and I think a perfect example of that is that she convinced her entire family to let me live with them for a week without ever having <laughs> met me because <laughs> yeah, I was our, like, no, no, don't worry, family. She's not going to rob us. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was true. It was all good. <laughs> That's you guys know of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I know that I'm being a big mush, but I, I think that it's important for our listeners to hear that. Um, sometimes it's, it's not easy to to share those kinds of things about yourself, um, but those are three reasons why I asked um, you guys to to join this show is because you are truly role models for anybody that is looking to get into the advocacy field or even people that are in it and, and looking to continue their um, their career in this field. But now. I'm going to turn it over to you guys. So, um, Stephanie, could you share some of your thoughts about what inspires you about the Her Chesapeake family? Absolutely. So I'll just talk about our entire board because I love them all so much. And I think that we work really well to complement one each other one another. Um, we all have different skills that we bring to the table and we're all sort of aware of our differences in skills. And so we'll turn to one another when something needs to be done. So we have five people on our board. Um, so including Catherine and Lauren and I, we also have Melissa and Joan. And so say for example, um, Lauren comes up with this big idea because Lauren is like, so idea. I mean, she came up with the idea for her Chesapeake. She's just like, I have this amazing idea. It's incredible. We're going to change the world. <laughs> and then Joan 
is like a realist. And she says, well, hold on. <laughs> um, like, let's bring this down a notch. Let's talk it through. Like, is this really, how would this work? She's really into like the details of how it's going to work out. Catherine is like the follow through. So she's like, okay, so we're going to do this. So here are the steps that we're going to take to do this. I'm going to write them all down. I'm going to send you the list of all the things that people have to do um, so that you know, and then I'm going to follow up and I'm going to send you reminders to make sure that you're on task. And then Melissa, who's our membership chair, is like, (laughs) excuse me, she's like the social butterfly. And so if there's anything where it's like, we need to talk to someone. We need to like cold call these organizations to see if we can be involved with them. She's like, I will absolutely do that when the rest of us are like, we don't necessarily want to do that. Um, And so we all function together uh, as this really great community, which I I think and I hope is apparent to the rest of our members um, that we really do lean on one another and support each other in our different strengths. Um, because it's so important to recognize your own strengths, but also it's, it's feels, you would think it would feel like weakness to ask for help, but it's actually incredibly empowering to say, I don't have all the answers and I need help. And then to have the community come and back you up. So definitely over the past year, I've had some some downer experiences that I won't go into where I've really had to lean on these other women um, and just been like, I can't do it, you guys. And they're like, that's okay. We will do it for you. Um, And it's been so beautiful and supportive and inspiring. I feel like you're talking about like relationship building 101. Too. It's like it's like the best relationships and the best teams are always comprised of people that are a little bit different from each other and have their own strengths. And then more importantly, are able to ask for help and be open with their communication um, if they or if ever find them themselves in a place where they're struggling or they need assistance from everybody. Um, so that's great. Um, so Catherine, can you share some of your thoughts on what inspires you about the Her Chesapeake family? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that Stephanie just said. I think um, one of the things that has helped us is that since the beginning, we made our goal really, really clear. And we try to keep those goals like at the forefront all the time, which means uh, when there's disagreements or when there's different sort of levels of involvement because life can get in the way or there's just, I don't know, different opinions and perceptions, you at least all know that you're working toward the same thing. Um, And that helps sort of everyone kind of feel invested and and feel involved. Related to that, I think um, there's a sort of a baseline level of respect for each other. And this applies to members, too, and and guests and people who come on events and and total strangers who just happen to come across us. Um, There's sort of a baseline level of respect that we have for one another, um, just as, you know, part of this is how we're going to do business. Uh, And with that, I think because you can tell that people are being kind and respectful of you, uh, there's sort of more of a likelihood that you can be uh, a little open and honest where maybe you wouldn't if you didn't feel like you were in that safe space. Um, So a lot of folks, uh, both on the board and just in our membership, 
have been really open about their experiences um, and their challenges and their successes. And I think that open attitude and sort of willingness to be vulnerable um, has really helped people connect with each other and um, just sort of feel inspired to persist and have strength, you know? Um, people, it's, it's funny because there's sort of this wavelength of like, highs and lows that you can see in members as you um, spend more time with them and just as the organization continues on and, and you've been with people who have, who have been coming to meetings since the beginning, um, you know, life is full of good things that happen and then challenges that come across. And so um, being able to share both of those things um, makes it a really, a really cool place. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think another thing that I, I really love about her Chesapeake is that, um, you know, the news cycle that we have now, I think sometimes can be super oversaturated with negativity. Um, and it's almost like this, like one-sided conversation of just this big influx of, um, news coming at you and all of these shocking things. And a, a lot of people just absorb that and don't have a place to go to discuss what's going on in their lives. And then even greater than that in the Bay watershed in the world. Um, Lauren, do you have any thoughts to add to that? Yeah. <laughs> As they were talking, I just thought, yes, I so agree with all of this, but you're covering everything I would want to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I would just, kind of reiterate that I feel like our whole Her Chesapeake board are very trustworthy people, very solid decision makers. I feel like they are people I can completely rely on and put my faith in. Um, we know that we're there for each other when we need each other. Um, like Stephanie and Catherine said, if someone something happens and someone kind of has to step back for a little bit, the rest of us will pick it up, no problem, and keep it going. So we, we kind of have like this level of comfort with each other which is really nice. Um, and it's things like anytime someone gets a new job that might take them away from the project, we're like, okay, so do you want to still be involved? Like, what's your time look like? We're trying to be really understanding that um, things change in our lives and um, we'll have to adapt and figure out how to, how to fill gaps as her Chesapeake keeps going. And we're totally comfortable with that, I think. Um, and then just all the women of her Chesapeake who, who show up to our meetings and our different events and things. I, every time after those events, I feel so inspired by their energy and just their willingness to show up to a meeting that they, they don't have to be there. They could be doing anything else with their time. Um, but they're there, they're showing up for each other. Um, and they have this real genuine interest in helping each other and helping all of us meet our own personal goals. Um, so that's really cool to see. Yeah. And I think it's validating in a way too, where you're like, Hey, I had this thought of wanting, wanting to provide this space because I think it would be useful, um, for people to be able to gather and, and, and talk about all of the issues that we're facing in the conservation world, the advocacy world, the world of navigating, you know, this space as a woman. Um, and now you're seeing people show up and find it useful. And so that shows you that you nailed that gap on the head 
and that you're doing something that is helpful for your community, which is so awesome. Uh, I just want to say that that was really intentional. We looked for that gap. Um, So, and I think, you know, part of it might be experience and communications and trying to figure out, okay, everything that we say needs to have a purpose, but part of it is just knowing that there are other groups out there um, and we didn't want to reinvent the wheel if there was already something that, that would work for us. Um, but fill a gap if it was there. And so we try, um, we try to do that. And one of the things that Lauren always reminds us of, and I'm so grateful for, is to constantly be asking um, our members about what they want and, so, and, and what's going to help them and then adapting to, to meet those needs. So I think just that, that has, it's, it's good to see that we're doing that because we've tried really hard to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that that's a, the perfect segue into um, having you, Catherine, dive a little bit deeper into your three focus areas um, of support, growth, and connection. Um, so could you spend a little bit of time unpacking each of those areas for our listeners? Definitely. So those have been kind of three of our focus areas from the very beginning. Um, and sort of they mean different things and we approach them and make them happen in different ways. So to start with support, um, that is probably at the heart of her Chesapeake. And um, we want to be able to provide a safe space um, for people to come and share experiences and solve problems. Um, And so we invite folks to talk about their experiences and their problems uh, at every event that we have, sometimes informally, uh, sometimes in a more formal way. Growth is all about helping members reach their own success, whatever success might mean to them. Uh, And even talking about what success means to them to open up people's minds about success itself. Um, So we do this kind of in small and large ways. Uh, The small ways are probably some of my favorites. uh, And that is because we try and hold her Chesapeake challenges. Uh, You mentioned one of our challenges earlier that was plastic free uh, week. I went and looked back at some of the uh, Facebook photos that I posted uh, during that week of my plastic consumption. And like, it was so hard. And I, I read the captions about the things that I would promise to do and wondered, am I still doing those? Um, so we have these little (laughs) challenges. Another one, you know, um, sometimes they're conservation related. Sometimes they're work, feminist, women at work related. Um, So another one that I really loved was positive behavior bingo. So things like uh, saying no, or uh, just achieving things like in the workplace and engaging in those behaviors that people say, you know, women should do more of or do less of uh, to be our full selves. Um, We also um, have this idea that we haven't been able to to sort of fulfill yet, but um, that's sitting there on the back burner for when we're ready uh, to kind of help um, serve as an incubator for member ideas. So if they have their own ideas for projects um, or programs or anything, um, we can help them achieve that or at least give them feedback throughout the development process. And then the last piece is connections. So this is sort of something that we do through the events that we hold, right? 
So we have quarterly happy hours uh, and quarterly meetings. Uh, and we really try to foster sort of a non-competitive spirit of networking. Um, and just to also allow members, in addition to meeting each other, bring in kind of new voices. So uh, at our meetings, we often will have guest speakers, just women who are involved in the field of conservation. Um, so we, we do ask them about their jobs uh, so you can get that sort of career perspective, but we also ask them about how they've experienced their jobs as women, right? Um, because that's something that we're all doing. So, and, and that has been uh, really cool as far as hearing new voices goes and, and sort of hearing people um, who might not be, who might bringing new people into the fold of her Chesapeake through that guest speaker path, right? So they might not have never heard about our organization, but we were able to reach out to them and connect to their networks and then they join in. So, so that's been really nice uh, as far as building connections goes. And I specifically like that you mentioned um, the non-competitive nature of this um, because there is something to be said about weaving kindness through everything that you do. Um, and it might be so easy or seem like um, the simplest option to tear people down um, or be negative. And being positive, having that mindset and being kind, it does take a lot of work. And I'm not trying to say that you should, you know, pretend to be happy all the time, even when you're not. I think showing healthy emotion is um, it's a good thing. Um, it's, a, it's a strong thing to do. But when faced with challenging moments or new people coming into your world, um, try to err on the side of kindness because there really is space for everybody. I, I mean, even speak, just speaking from my own career path, I think capacity is always an issue for everybody that I work with. You know, we always need to bring more people into the fold and climate is going to be an ever growing problem. The climate change issues that we're facing relating to that. Um, so there's room for everybody. So I really appreciate that you brought up that um, you guys really are fostering a non-competitive atmosphere and a more supportive one. Well, this is our community, right? So these are all people. So if, if you're building success for other people, you know, it's a sort of a two-way street. And if you're kind of improving your own community, that's only going to benefit you too. Um, uh, so Lauren, actually, hold that thought. Stephanie, <laughs> <laughs> who am I going to pick on next? Uh, <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> Stephanie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keeping you guys on your toes. Um, Stephanie, can you discuss um, some of the Her Chesapeake events? If there are any upcoming that you would like to give a specific shout out to, um, and a little touch a little bit more on your work and what are some of your most favorite, most memorable activities that you all have hosted? Absolutely. So we do have an upcoming event that I'm very excited about. Uh, it's a bird walk <laughs> at Blackwater Wildlife Refuge um, on the Chesapeake Bay's eastern shore. So that is on December 15th 
Um, and so if you're in the Maryland or Delaware or DC or Virginia area and you want to check out Would some you birds. Greater <laughs> Delmarva? Well, yeah, but Delmarva doesn't have DC in it. Oh, true. Oh, Delmar- we need a new Delmarv DC. <laughs> if you're in Delmarv DC, uh, come on out December 15th to Blackwater. We're going to check out some birds. Um, but we really try to not overwhelm our members with activities, but to keep ourselves top of mind. So we try to, about every month or so, have some sort of gathering where people can come together, uh, whether in a structured way or in a more uh, loose, um, casual way. So as we've mentioned, we have our quarterly meetings where we have pretty set agendas. We bring speakers in and we have sort of agenda items that we'll do every time. Then we'll have uh, happy hours where we just kind of meet up and have drinks and talk and socialize. And then we'll do these field trips or volunteer days. Um, So, you know, we are a feminist organization, but we're also an environmentalist organization. So getting out into the watershed and experiencing all the beauty that it has to offer uh, is something that we hold really dear as well. So we've gone on some hikes in different forests and wetlands. Um, We're doing this bird walk, as I mentioned. And one of my favorite activities that we've done is taken a boat tour of the Anacostia River. So we did that thanks to the Anacostia Watershed Society, which offers free boat tours. Um, And they're also my uh, home base for my master naturalist class. So shout out to AWS. Um, But we took a group of lovely women out on basically a sunset boat ride tour on the Anacostia River. And it was amazing to see So the Anacostia, if folks are not familiar, there's the well-known Potomac River that runs through D.C. and then the lesser known, often called the Forgotten River, uh, which comes down the other side and that's the Anacostia. So it has in the past been very polluted, but thanks to work uh, by community organizations like the Anacostia Watershed Society and others, um, it's doing a lot better. And it was amazing to be on the river. And apart from a couple instances where, you know, the metro went on a bridge above the river and there were some highway overpasses, you really almost forgot that you were right next to our nation's capital because it was so serene. We saw a beaver, we saw so much wildlife, um, and it was really inspiring because this is why we do the work that we do. It's to it's to cultivate these amazing places like that. And these are the moments that make me miss living down there because that sounded so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but also... Um, with you mentioning the the health improvement of the Anacostia River, it reminded me of a conversation I had in my very first episode of the Sea Change podcast with the executive director of the organization I work for for my day job, the American Literal Society, um, Tim Dillingham. He was talking about uh, his career and all the projects that the Literal Society has worked on. And I was asking about the successes that he's seen. And he started talking about the Delaware River um, and how polluted the Delaware River used to be. But over time, um, it's now at a place where people are able to take 
boat trips down it. He had just taken this long sojourn and they saw this amazing wildlife, swimmable, fishable. And um, it's just a great reminder that this is a long game when you're in the conservation field. Also, if you're in the women's rights field, (laughs) (laughs) we're uh, (laughs) yeah, the common ground there is it's a long game. So you're going to have ups and downs and a lot of frustrations, but where you can focus in on those wins in the areas that you make progress. Um, that's where you find a lot of joy and a lot of, um, excitement and motivation to keep going. So, um, it's, I think it's just great that you guys are getting out and showing people that giving them their firsthand experience. Um, so now Lauren, (laughs) um, are there any particular moments or lessons or themes that have resonated with you since the start of her Chesapeake? Yeah, I have a couple in mind. Um, <laughs> one is to not have your dog in the room when you're doing a, recording a podcast because he keeps grumbling. <laughs> 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 no. Um, so one of the ones that I've been thinking about recently um, a lesson that we've heard several times from a few of our speakers is that there is no existing specific path to get where you want to be career-wise. Um, at our meeting, we just had a meeting the other day, and our guest speaker was Marsha Pradines with the um, the Fish and Wildlife Service. And something that she said, I think she might have been quoting somebody else, is that there is no career ladder. It's more like a jungle gym. And that's the kind of thing that we hear a lot. Um, Like you can't plan out exactly your steps and what you're going to do next. You can't really follow anyone else's path because the circumstances are already different than what they did. But that's a lot of, that's a question that a lot of early career people have is like, tell me how you got to where you are so I can do that too. But there is really no answer. So we just have to accept that. (laughs) But if there were, like, how boring would that be? Right. Um, (laughs) True story. Yeah. So then just the other lesson, more on the organizational side for her Chesapeake, is that if we are really going to be a force for empowerment for women and for the watershed, we have to be intersectional. So even though we're trying to limit our scope to environmental issues and feminism, um, because we're just one small organization with no budget at all right now, um, we still have to be responsive to other social issues that intersect with what we're doing. So that's things like race and gender and sexual orientation and a lot of other things. So some of the things that that means for her Chesapeake and the way that we operate is that All of our meetings and events are free. Um, It means that we welcome all self-identifying women. And we also welcome people who do not identify as women to certain events. Um, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Including dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maybe he'll let me get the rest of this out. Um, (laughs) It also means that we are not a political activist organization. So we don't align ourselves organizationally with any other with any um particular political side um and it also means that we uh, like we like to prioritize guest speakers who are women of color because 
we just believe in the importance of hearing their voice in particular. <laughs> <laughs> that is Dax just, I think he's doing a great job amplifying the general <laughs> disdain that people are feeling lately. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to be like my hype man in the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Giving a little wolf here and there. <laughs> That's okay. We love dogs on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Catherine, tagging onto that, um, are there some common themes that you have noticed that have come out of the conversation that you all are having with, with your members? Yeah. So every time we have a meeting, um, Stephanie mentioned we have these sort of standard recurring agenda items. And um, one of those agenda items is called empowerment and that's what happens <laughs> when stephanie is on your board there will be <laughs> and so uh with that discussion i think we sort of try to do something that we that we referenced earlier which is personalizing whatever is going on in the world um some sort of issue that's facing women at work uh specifically in the conservation field or even outside of that field and so we ask different questions. Um, we've talked about um, getting others to trust your expertise. We've talked about dealing with imposter syndrome or the weight of emotional labor, both at work and at home. We've talked about um, the wage gap and whether or not you should disclose your salary history and how you can negotiate for a raise. We've talked about leadership, um, when it's appropriate to be a leader, when it's okay to be a follower. And we've talked about sort of authenticity and bringing your whole self to work. So these conversations have touched on a lot of different topics. Um, but I think one of the most common themes um, that I've heard is that we're not always advocating for ourselves when we should be. And... Um, and this will sound horrible, but nothing that we are experiencing is unique to us. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're not special and that our experiences don't matter. <laughs> can insert it, Dax's <laughs> sigh. <laughs> but what it does mean is that... Um, He's still doing it, so you could... I could uh, what it does mean is that we can find power and support in talking about some of these experiences when we feel, you know, comfortable doing so. Um, I think, especially, and, and when we're in a space that we feel is, you know, safe and supportive and allows for that kind of conversation. Absolutely. Um, so Stephanie, because we are on this theme of what is common or what is uncommon, um, I would love to hear your input on what are, um, are there any sort of uncommon or common challenges that you've noticed that women are facing while navigating the conservation space? Um, and I'll also open it up to um, be broader than that, if just navigating their careers in general. Absolutely. So, there are some challenges that are mostly specific to women 
There are some challenges that are mostly specific to navigating the conservation space. And then there are some challenges that are unique to women in the conservation space. Um, and I would say it can often feel that many of these problems are uncommon when you don't have the network and the people to discuss the issues with, but actually, uh, dear listeners, whatever challenges you're facing, you are likely not the only person facing that challenge. Um, and so I hope some of the things I'm about to list right now, um, I hope they don't resonate with you. But if they do resonate with you, just know that you are certainly not alone in feeling them. So there are obviously in the professional realm for women, systemic issues. Um, some of these that Catherine just mentioned, uh, things like the wage gap, lack of women in leadership roles, um, just overall prejudices against women. When we're attempting to advocate for ourselves, we sound like we're bragging, or if we're trying to take on more responsibilities, we're seen as bossy and domineering, we're not team players. Um, we are sort of the moms or stuck in this admin role where we have to you know, plan the parties, even if we're not party planners. Um, but then there are also these, these very personal internalized issues. So like imposter syndrome, um, not applying for certain jobs because you don't feel like you're a hundred percent qualified. Whereas stereotypically men will apply for jobs. They feel like they're, you know, 60 or 70% qualified for. Um, and then that internalized misogyny where you look down on yourself because you are a woman um, and as much as you try to negate that there's still that little niggling whisper in your in the back of your head that says you know you're not good enough this isn't right you're worse uh, because you're a woman um, and then I, I also mentioned at this point that um, we obviously as our board have not experienced all hardships in the world that there are to experience. And so we try to be very conscious and open about that and make it a safe space for people to bring their other challenges and hardships that they have faced uh, and feel comfortable bringing that to the group. And even if it's something that we as the board have not experienced, maybe someone else in the group has experienced it. Um, so just that intersectionality that Lauren was talking about earlier to make sure that everyone feels like they have a platform to speak from and that we're able to support them on that platform. And then in the conservation realm, um, obviously no matter what your gender is, uh, being in the conservation realm, particularly at this time in the global uh, timeline, is is really stressful. Um, you can't escape your work when you're an environmentalist. Uh, you go outside and the air is there, the water is there, pollution is there, the climate is changing. Um, and it can be really difficult and overwhelming and very scary at times. Um, so in the same way that it's important as, as women to be open and honest about the struggles we're facing, I think it's important as conservationists to be open and honest about the struggles we're facing um, and to be vulnerable and say, I'm really scared. <laughs> I'm scared about the future of the planet. You know, here's what I'm doing. Do you think that's okay? Do you think that's good enough? What can we do together? Um, and having that, you know, community of, of like-minded women, but also having a community of like-minded 
conservationists and maybe women conservationists um, to support each other because really in, and this was sort of touched on before in both of these areas, in both feminism and environmentalism, we're working through these major societal global changes that thousands of years in the making have been working in the opposite direction. And we're trying to make sort of these huge life altering, globe altering changes. Um, so having a community is vital. Not one person can do it on their own. Um, and so understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses and talking about the struggles we're facing and being able to lean on one another is absolutely vital. And that, everybody, is exactly why I mentioned a strength of Stephanie's. <laughs> so thoughtful and insightful because that was an absolutely beautiful response. Um, and I think it also really gets down to self-care, people. Take care of yourself because especially when you're dealing with, if you are the other in any way, shape, or form, whether you're a woman, whether you're in the conservation field, whether you're a different minority group, you're going to be facing challenges every single day in your life of people telling you that you're not good enough or not feeling like you fully are included in the group and you're, if you're fully accepted, but taking that time to go to groups like her Chesapeake um, hopefully people that are listening, if you're down in the Delmarva area, um, definitely look them up and we will share how to get involved with their work shortly. Um, so Lauren, um, because I think her Chesapeake is such a special organization. Um, and I really hope to maybe start a Northeast chapter someday or, would be so psyched to talk in. Yeah. <laughs> um, although I don't know if her Boston Harbor has quite the the <laughs> ring to it. Her Boston Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to see you guys continuing this um, growth. And um, I think our listeners are all really interested in hearing what is the vision for her, her Chesapeake moving forward. Yeah, um, so right now we are mostly based in the Annapolis, Maryland area just because it's kind of a hub for Chesapeake Bay organizations. So we'll probably be here for a while um, and continue to build up this community here. Um, but we're starting to branch out a little bit to DC and going over to um, do some events on the Eastern Shore and different things like that. Um, but I think will remain within this theme of empowering people to improve their environment. That's for sure. Um, but long-term I am dreaming pretty big. Stephanie totally called me out for that tendency. <laughs> it's really true. Um, so <laughs> I could see local or regional chapters forming. Um, and I think we could, pretty easily replicate the model that we've already created. We have a really good structure and organization going. Um, so we could kind of share that out and help people do things like start a Northeast chapter. I would love to do that with you. Um, and then, yeah, ideally I would love to take this nationally, get like a national level organization that has um, like sister organizations underneath it. Um, kind of like, 
it reminds me of um, water keepers. I think I think that's what they're called. Yeah, the water or like a surf rider foundation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that. So there could be similar groups for other major U.S. watersheds. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, the sky's the limit. Like as, as long as we're staying relevant and listening to what um, our members want and what they need and being responsive to that and um, serving them well, then let's keep going. So I'm, I'm going to open this up now to everybody because I think you all have really um, valuable insight to share in terms of how do you all see yourselves fitting into the world as a woman in 2018 and what does womanhood mean to you? Um, and just for organizational sake, because I know that we're all over Skype, um, we'll start with Catherine. Nope, she's shaking her head. We'll give you a little <laughs> more time. Let's start with Stephanie. All right. <laughs> so um, just continuing on a theme that we have had throughout this whole con conversation, um, something that's really important to me as a woman in 2018 is vulnerability. Um, I think there's historically and still currently a lot of pressure as a woman to be this superhuman person who can do anything. Uh, and it, it's almost like um, a rebuttal against this idea, you know, historically that women were weak and helpless. And so there was this wave of feminism that said, no, we're not, we can do everything. Um, and it's like, well, you know, we don't have to do everything. We can do some things and then we can, like you said, go back and, and drink some water and take a nap and, you know, care for ourselves. Um, so I think, I've been trying in my own personal life um, to show more vulnerability, um, to let people know that I'm unsure about things, especially in a leadership role like in her Chesapeake where I don't really know if anyone's looking up to me, but maybe they are. And, and to see me be able to say, I struggle at times and I do it anyway, or I struggle at times and I need someone else to do it for me. Um, to to be really authentic about those issues that I'm having, I think is really important um, to let people know that they're not alone. These are things that everyone goes through and that what's really important is to be able to lean on one another to get through that. And I've definitely noticed um, your efforts to do that and personally have benefited from um, your openness and your vulnerability with things that you're struggling with. So I appreciate you. I look up to you. I know that we're the same age, but you can still look up to people that are <laughs> your same age or younger than you. Um, and I think that that's, it's, I'm just totally impressed with how, um, you're able to communicate things that might be a struggle for you. Um, with the goal of understanding that people like myself might need to hear it and can benefit from knowing that you're not so alone in that struggle. Um, so Lauren, do you have any thoughts to share on? Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking about what Stephanie was saying with like feeling this pressure to be a certain way or do certain things as a woman and your question of what does womanhood mean? So, what I want to say is whatever someone who identifies as a woman wants it to mean, 
for themselves is what womanhood means. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of what womanhood is right now um, is about lifting away all those definitions and all those expectations um, so that we can just get to a place of equal well-being for all people. Definitely. Um, I totally agree with that. And also going, going back to, to what Stephanie was saying about you know, wondering if being up to her, I feel like that's a challenge that I've struggled with as well. And I'm not sure if I'm assuming you guys probably have to, but I don't want to assume, um, Wondering if, like, if I have something to say, even in, in a meeting or even if it's simple as on Twitter, being like, who cares? <laughs> and then overcoming that that mental block of being like, nobody cares what you have to say. Like, or are people going to make fun of you? Are you being ridiculous or silly? Or are you going to, you know, upset somebody um, by not being totally politically correct all the time? That is something that I definitely have had a challenge with and have gotten strength from seeing how you guys all operate in your daily lives and seeing and learning about the model of her chest peak. Um, and then now here I am sitting with a microphone in front of me with my own podcast and just really leaping into it. So also shout out to Peter and Tyler from the American Shoreline Podcast Network for believing in me um, and giving me this opportunity. So so much appreciation all around. Um, but Catherine, now getting back to you, because sometimes good things and good thoughts take time and you just needed a couple extra minutes. I needed a couple extra minutes because my first answer was going to be exhaustion. But that's <laughs> 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 mentioned taking a nap and maybe that's all I need. Uh, <laughs> all I, it's all I need. Um, I think that being a woman in 2018 is very hard. Uh, when I first started thinking about this question, um, there were so many possible answers running through my mind. Uh, and I think it's because it gets at what Lauren said, which is it's whatever it means to you at that point. Um, I think for me personally, um, there's a little bit of what some maybe could call selfishness, um, a little bit more of doing things for yourself. Um, and maybe not just yourself, but for your friends and your family too. Uh, and, and sort of, a sort of bringing, bringing things down. I think especially, you know, in today's, uh, news cycle, things often seem like emergencies, uh, national global emergencies. And so, um, it's, it's possible to feel helpless unless you're uh, trying to do something positive uh, sort of on a small scale because it feels like that's all you can do. Um, so kind of focusing on that small scale uh, and trying to just do things that you know that are going to um, benefit even the little world that you're in. Uh, I also think that honesty is really important now um, kind of to both yourself and to the people around you and in many different forms. Um, sometimes it's about sort of being blunt and speaking truths that are difficult to hear. Um, sometimes it's just uh, being honest about uh, compliments that you want to give people uh, and positive feelings that you want to share. Um, so, so I think just sort of being uh, more truthful um, sort of in how you're feeling and, and what you want to say to the world 
uh, is, is really key to a place where, you know, it's kind of hard to tell fact from fiction these days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so this, this is sort of a hybrid between the last question and where we're going to go with the next one. Um, but I also think there's so much to be said about leading by example. So embodying, you know, whatever womanhood and whatever being a conservationist or an advocate means to you, live, live it, live your truth, live your best life, go out there and, and lead by example. Um, and so I want to hear from each of you, what advice do you have for our listeners? Um, whether they're people trying to get into the conservation field, maybe they're someone who's just struggling with their own identity or they're like long, they've been in this field forever. They're veterans. Um, what advice do you have for the listeners? So I recently left a position and had a going away party. And at that going away party, a lot of people said a lot of really nice things that they might My have. invite must have gotten lost in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, this is the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> to bear. Just um, and people said a lot of really nice things. And um, one of the things that someone said he liked about me is something that I want other people to do uh, because it helps me. And it's the reason I do it is because it helps me and I want more people to do it. And that is smiling at other people when they're doing a good job. (laughs) So he told this story about giving this presentation at a meeting and looking around the room and half the room is like not even paying attention. And the other half is looking at him like he's an idiot. And then he somehow finds my face and I'm sitting there nodding and like giving the thumbs up and being like, you can do this, bud. You got it. And you are on message. And uh, in this new job, I find myself in meetings and I want to ask people, hey, when I'm saying something that you think makes sense, can you just please smile and nod? Um, Because giving that kind of positive reinforcement to other people is so important. Um, and, And just putting that positive energy and being sort of smiley when you can and when it's warranted, you know, don't go crazy, um, is one of the ways that I think leading by example is one of the things that I want to do and I always try to do. Yeah. Positive vibes, people. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just say, though, can we just say to, like, cover our bases that that's advice for all people, not just women. Don't feel pressure to smile at everybody. (laughs) It's just professionalism. And, and, oh, God, now it's going to make it sound like I'm telling women to smile more. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to avoid No. (laughs) But you know that's not what I mean because if you've ever seen me, you know that I do not smile when I don't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Fact. (laughs) I can relate to that like on a spiritual level because uh, we do a lot of, we do a lot of public speaking in the role that I'm in now. And I always will find myself grabbing, gravitating toward that like one person in the room that's smiling and nodding. And I feel like oftentimes that's my own boss. <laughs> so, so really, I would love it if more people in the audience were engaging. Um, so that's something we can all work on as a community. Um, so Lauren, 
What advice do you have for our listeners? Um, well, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but I was just thinking that for the people who are interested in this podcast series um, or interested in things like her Chesapeake, it is trying times for us these days. <laughs> so I would say focus on yourself, focus on your self-care and start making the changes that you want to see in the world at whatever scale feels like it's doable for you. Um, start talking to your friends about your ideas. And if you don't have any friends or you don't have any friends who care, then come talk to her Chesapeake about it. And um, just keep pushing on it and something amazing might come out of it. I never thought that I would be leading a new organization and here I am with this side hustle happening. Um, so whatever it is that you want to do, go do it. You got this. And people will notice you and they'll notice the good work you're doing, um, even if you choose to be doing it quietly, people will notice. Great advice. And Stephanie? Both great advice from Catherine and Lauren so far. Just to add my own, one piece of advice that a woman that I really looked up to in undergrad gave to me uh, was that don't look at your life in terms of successes and failures. As long as you're learning from the experience, you're not failing. Uh, so even if you're in a really upsetting job and all you're learning from it is that you really don't want to have that job, um, you haven't failed at that job. You're just learning something about yourself. Uh, and especially in along the lines of what I've been saying before, in these movements of feminism and environmentalism, in order to change the status quo, we are having to take on some big challenges and do things that honestly have never been done before in some really creative ways. And so we're going to mess up and we're going to do things that don't work out sometimes. And that's okay. You just have to learn with it. Um, drink a glass of water, take a nap, and then the next day get back out there and try something new. Uh, and, oh, and I thought you were going to say drink a glass of wine. Well, Both. you can drink, you know, <laughs> wine, water, milk, whatever it is that you want to drink. Um, and then, yeah, just try it again. And, and don't think of what you did as a failure. Definitely don't think of yourself as a failure. Um, just think of it all as a learning experience. I feel like we need to make up some t-shirts that say, um, drink a glass of water, <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> and don't forget about the periwinkle. And don't, yeah, yeah they'll be, yeah, they'll be in periwinkle <laughs> color. <laughs> but Stephanie's advice, I brought this episode into a full circle about not being afraid to fail. Um, because you'll find that. So when the first attempt at this episode didn't work out, I was super stressed out about it. And, um, you know, I just want to make everybody so proud, but everybody was so understanding because we came to them and we were open and honest and they understand that this is a new network. Um, everybody on this network is brand new to podcasting. Um, and so we're sometimes going to stumble a little bit maybe make some errors, um, but we learned so much from it. And here we are with this amazing conversation again. Um, thanks to you guys for 
taking the time and being understanding and, and really embodying that message that Stephanie just shared, that it's okay to make mistakes. So I feel like all of the listeners after hearing this whole entire conversation are as in love with you guys as I am and um, want to know how to get involved with her Chesapeake. Um, If they live in that area around the Chesapeake Bay, potentially have the opportunity to meet you guys and attend a a meeting or an event or happy hour. Um, So how can people get involved with her Chesapeake? The first thing you can do is hop on herchesapeake.com and you can check out our events page and sign up for our newsletter. We do a, a quarterly newsletter. Um, and, uh, and then you can like us on Facebook um, and you'll see us posting a lot of articles and different updates about what's going on in the world. And we'll share about our events on there. And if you're in the Annapolis, Baltimore, DC, Delmarva area, come hang out with us. Um, come check out our Chesapeake meeting. Um, or a happy hour, or a field trip. Um, we'd love to meet you and talk to you and welcome you into our organization. Awesome. So everybody go out there, like them on social media, attend an event. If you're interested in starting your own chapter, wherever you are, let's put a pin in that. Um, because as the organization grows, that is a reality that I would love to live in um, and yeah, be a part of. Yes. So let's do it. Um, I want to thank all three of you today for taking the time, not only once, but twice to hang out with me. Um, it's been a pleasure interviewing you guys and hearing all about her Chesapeake, or I should say you folks (laughs) 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 need to work on that. I look forward to continuing our friendship and following along with all of the amazing work that you're doing. Um, it's, It's just so inspiring.